Welcome to another episode of the Kenna Book Club, hosted by Resonate Radio. It's the second part of a special two-part release where we are discussing modeling cannabinoids from a large-scale sample of cannabis sativa chemotypes. We have our guest, Dr. Daniela Vergara. She is an evolutionary biologist researching cannabis genomics at the University of Colorado Boulder. In addition to her multiple publications on cannabis, she's founded and directs a nonprofit organization, the Agricultural Genomics Foundation. The AGF's aim is to make cannabis science available to the broad public, and we are happy to have Dr. Vergara on the Cannabis Book Club for part two. It's just an extension of the last conversation that we were having. If you've listened to part one, that is available on all of the platforms. If you've already listened to it, I hope you're ready for this part two. We really get deep into it. We're discussing you know, a little bit further about the data. You know, it's clear that this is, you know, what this paper is about. How are we going to have a consistent effort so everybody can get on the same page? You know, again, it's one of the biggest complaints from the cannabis industry from everybody is that there's no research for anything. So hopefully, hopefully we can come to some agreement. So this is why we have one of the experts in cannabis genomics here on the podcast absolute blast of a conversation we got slightly carried away but you know it's fun stuff so i hope you all enjoy part two let's get into it dr anna take it away um so the results met your expectations on clustering cultivars based on their chemotype which makes sense because we know like People have already started talking about type 1, type 2, type 3, type 4, and type 5 cultivars, and this kind of fits with that, where we've got different ratios of cannabinoids. You brought in some other additional cannabinoids, which as we've learned, um, people don't always measure those minor cannabinoids, or if they do, maybe they don't show up in the testing because, you know, when you're when you're doing one when you're doing one test and you're testing for something that's super high like THC and then you're looking for something that's found in super low levels, there's a good chance that your instrument isn't going to pick up on that very well. Like if you were, if you took the THC out of the analysis and we're only looking for those things in lower levels with a different, um, you know, method for HPLC or GC or whatever the case may be, you might be able to detect those better, but like then you're doing two tests. So it's like twice as expensive. I don't know if that was a rant, but anyway, um, <laughs> as you said, as you said, Daniela, like no best method, uh, is it, it, there's no like consistent, no method that consistently was able to, um, imputate these, um, these mis- missing data. Right. So, um, and even in table three, which we kind of skipped over, like I, I highlighted, each thing and, and where they fell in terms of, you know, which column did they fall in, um, whether it was iterative, multiple K neighbors and soft. And for this, like, uh, multiple and K neighbors just didn't even show up to the party. Like none of like all of, all of the ones that are highlighted are all in the iterative and soft. Right. But then we have a couple where K neighbors or K nearest neighbors was was good. So I would have been super frustrated writing this paper. Like, how the hell am I going to explain all of this <laughs> in a paper and get it published? But this is this is awesome. 
like on the next page, so page 14 of 17, strain name is not indicative of potency or overall chemical composition, um, which we know. Well, partly, and then that, that can be because of multiple things, right? First of all, we could be starting with diff totally different material, different, totally different genotype, but it's misnamed, right? Or it could have been harvested early or late, or it could have been, you know, like, there's so many different things um, that can that can lead to differences within strains, um, you know, and, you know, the lack of record keeping because, you know, illegal underground whole prohibition thing uh, kind of led to not keeping great records and, and we don't have a way to check. Like, so I wanted to, I want to piggyback on that part. So Daniela, if someone was to do this paper again, because um, hopefully they'll do some sort of variation on it and confirm things. What can the industry do, like, right now to make sure that this effort is easier and we kind of have to do, you know, less imputation and, like, actually have data? Because that's what you've said, you know, a couple of times now, right, is the best thing that we could have had was, you know, the actual fucking number. <laughs> like, just give us the number. So is it, you know, do people go and cite this paper and do they choose, okay, you know, everyone follow these labs that are doing it the same? Uh, you know, do we look at one of them? How does, you know, what is that kind of first step? What's the takeaway that people can kind of get from this and make sure that this is a little bit easier? Because this is going to help all of us in the long run. This is a pretty important topic that you've hit on. And I think that, yeah, trying to pull away what we can do to make it easier, I think would be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and I think that Adam and I were in a discussion a week ago or two weeks ago, and I think it's, honestly, it's just keeping our best, right? Trying our best, because there is no overseeing entity that goes to your testing facility and says, like, show me your standards, show me, you know, how you're cleaning your machine, show me your SOPs, like, they no do want to see, they do want to see validate, like there are internal and external audits that can be done in any lab. Like you can, you, you should be able to call any lab and say, I want to come and do an audit. They need to show SOPs. They need to show validation. They need to show their meth, you know, their, their methods. Um, but it's all in-house, you know, all their calibration and all of their standards and all of their everything, but a validation is all done in-house there is no standard for all that stuff. So yeah. although your methods might be validated at your lab, that doesn't mean that they're, they're comparable to another lab who's also done their own, own internal validation methods um, and have their standard methods and have, you know, like there's all these different, you know, like, like we can buy different ladders for, you know, to run a gel and look at DNA. Like there's different standards that you can buy from various companies and I don't, I mean, I don't know if anyone looked at the difference between them and some of them aren't even available. So like maybe CBDV was never on there because it's not really in any of the mixes for the standards for when they do, you know, these tests. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree with that. And I also think that, you know, when going, for example, for an ISO accreditation would be a good idea right? And that's a it's place still in house. And it's, it's still, still it's still in house, right? So I I don't think I mean, still, 
I think that the problem with Steep Hill is that they have different labs that are run by different people still in-house, right? And then when we found these things, it's kind of like, hey, guys, you know, like, I don't know whether that blank cell means zero, whether that blank cells means non-available, like, what does that mean? Taking data in Excel may not be the best idea. Like, we know that there are very big problems with data in Excel. There was a paper a few years ago looking at data that has been archived in Excel, and it's like the dates are completely changed. Like, you, even you know when you're putting data in Excel, that Excel just, you know, it's like january 1st and it's like that's not what i meant Excel. like i did not mean january 1st <laughs> and it, just changes, it just changes it for you because they just want to and so maybe but people do not like taking data in txt or csd and it's hard to do that anyway right so so i don't know like the way that you take the data but again when you have these individual labs, right? Like this one individual lab in Washington, in Florida, they can be very consistent. And I think that Steve Hill can go, you know, like the next step, like, okay, guys, we're now everyone, we're gonna do like a camp. And then from, you know, 4th of July, forget it, we're all gonna go into camp and figure out how we're all gonna take our data because they are very consistent with their standards and very consistent with the way that you operate the machine like that is very consistent is going the next step on how to take the data. Daniela, do you know what the name of the sort of organization is? It's Emerald something. I feel like Emerald conference or Emerald scientific yeah. where they, they like the labs can join that, that community and they check each other. So like you'll, they'll do a test and then they'll send that sample to another lab. They'll do a test on the same sample and then they'll check their results against each other to make sure that they're getting the same thing. If they're not getting the same thing, then something's wrong with one of those labs and they have to go re -go, like go back through and recalibrate and do, you know, revalidation and stuff like that. Like, I think that is a really good idea. And going forward, you know, we could have multiple of those. It's kind of like, self-regulation in a way, but kind of like with vitamins. When you go to the store to buy vitamins, you can buy, you know, something with a seal of approval from blah, blah, blah organization who has checked this to make sure that it doesn't have sawdust in it or, you know, it has the level of vitamin C that it has in it. But you can also buy cheaper versions of that, but then you have no guarantee that what you're getting in that bottle of vitamins that you're buying is actually what you're buying. So, like, you can take your you know, material to any lab you want. But if it has this stamp on it that says, you know, we, we have tested with other labs and we are checking and we're part of this checks and balances system, then you can kind of have a, um, like a uh, more warm and fuzzy feeling that you're actually getting, you know, real results rather than, you know, the super inflated that results that we know that labs are putting out. But I would even go further than that. Like, I don't think that having labs in every single location is necessary. Like, it's actually cheaper if you could run these machines 24-7 uh, in the same location. Like, all of these different locations, it's because laws and regulations, because you cannot transport material from one state to the other, right? Like, mm -hmm. yes, if you, if you had just, for example... I don't know, a steep hill northwest and then a steep hill midwest and then a steep hill south. And then you could. But then you're also giving a monopoly and you're, you know, like, 
Um, and also, Danielle, I know there's going to be maybe some chemists listening. They're going to be cringing that you're calling them machines. <laughs> They're called instruments in chemistry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, equipment. <laughs> I've been yelled at so many times. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think that that's that's also really true. The monopoly side is also really true. You know, like I yeah. So that's another thing. Like, like we can have the steep hills. We can have the McDonald's of the testing world that we know, like, we're going to get the same thing no matter which one of these, like, no matter which McDonald's we go to, our testing results are going to be consistent. They're going to give us what we want. But sometimes you want to go to five guys and, and, you know, like you just do because it's just better. Um it's more expensive, but, you know, you get maybe a, um, a larger panel of analyses. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't like the idea of, but also, like, there's some labs out there that are kind of sketch. Like, those people shouldn't be in business either. Like, we know that there are, you know, Sal's Hamburgeria around the corner that has rat droppings. or Like, that's not a good whatever. <laughs> yeah, true. Hopefully you're following my rantings. True. Yeah, I have not eaten McDonald's. I've eaten McDonald's like once in my life or twice, maybe. So, but it's very standard. No matter where you go, you know, McDonald's, you get what you pay for. You know what you're going to get. Very little variation among McDonald's. There is the human error, of course. Sometimes your cheese is like off to the side, or. <laughs> but yeah, for me, the take away from this paper was that there's a lot of work to do. Like there's a lot of work to do regarding how to keep the standards in the industry and how to uh, collect the data and that that we're definitely not there yet, right? Like we're we're not there yet and we are not thinking forward. Like we're not thinking about data collection and data analysis we're not thinking about those things yet right like and and i do think that you know like this this model that they have it's like okay now we're gonna open a new place in you know like now it's gonna be i don't know steep hill new jersey and now steep you know and it's like why don't we just make sure that we are all doing the same thing before opening and right but that's how their business model is and at the end of the day sometimes business does not go along with the data taking and the science right and unfortunately like that's the case and we're not there where we at least i think that we're not there where we can make business with the data like no you know we're still we don't have yeah i mean i i think as the public starts to get educated about how you know the results on their labels don't actually match what you know their thc or whatever is and then as you know the industry i I think the industry i think it's gonna be up to the industry kind of to self-regulate at some point and be like hey uh we should probably come together and sort this out because this is kind of getting insane like as people are putting out you know 40 percent and 45 percent thc like that's not even like biologically possible so <laughs> I think a lot of consumers are just naive because they just think, oh, well, that's what the label says. Like, cool. You know, well, that's how we all are with awesome. everything. That's how yeah. we are with everything. That's literally how we are with everything. Like we trust that on, you know, what it says on the can of Coca-Cola is what is in that thing. But that's a regulated industry. Like they have to do, you know, 
product testing and, and they have to actually show that what's in the can is what's in the can. We don't have that with cannabis. So I think we'll get there eventually, but it's going to have to come from consumers and from within the industry to say, like, we need to have some responsibility and um, consumers, we want to know what we're paying for. Yeah, I I had a discussion today about the uh, 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 organic and what it means for organic, right? And sometimes, yeah, exactly, because it doesn't mean that you cannot put fertilizers or what. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean sometimes even the pesticides are are worse, are even more harmful. Or if you are growing organic, or sometimes even because you're growing organic, you need to put more, right? Because they're organic. So, you know, like, and I was having that, that discussion, like, what does it really mean? Like, could we ever be in an organic cannabis industry? What would it mean for the industry to be organic? Does that mean, you know, like environmentally friendly? And that's not necessarily the case. Like the fact that it's organic, it's not necessarily environmentally friendly. So, so I think that, and I think that the consumers are naive, like what Molly was was saying, the the consumers are naive and the consumers just say like, oh, this is organic, this is so much better than, and it's like, no, dude, you just have to get home and still wash it, you know, like, and, and before you eat it. So, so I, I, I think that, that in a way, sometimes businesses take advantage of that naivete, whatever, from consumers and so, you know, the part where, you know, THC has increased over time, you mentioned in here that it's probably, well, several reasons it could be the result of gene sequence variation, expression levels, and gene copy number, um, because we there are multiple genes throughout the genome associated with the production. So we don't really know, like, what that high THC is, where it came from, when it happened, has it always been there? And then also, could be in due to environmental effects and... Um, cultivation conditions, like over the last few years, you know, decade or so, like we've gotten so much better at cultivation, better at lights, better at nutrients, better at soil, better at everything. And so is that THC production just that we got better? Um, you know, all of these legacy growers and, and, you know, just companies producing, um, um, better tools to grow, like whether it be in a small space, indoor or outdoor or whatever the case may be, like, yeah, it could just be that we're better at cultivating now. And so back in the day when the hippies were growing, like in their garage, like maybe that wasn't the great, and you know, had to use miracle grow or whatever they had access to some sort of clay. soil. like maybe wasn't the best, like environment but now we know what you know we're starting to get better at knowing what cannabis likes and how it performs better and you know understanding the importance of taking data and using it to try and figure out okay this was this was good we did better we got you know higher yields or higher thc like let's build on that etc etc and then i do like that you listed the limitations at the end of the paper you know the first being that it's from one company which is steep hill um, you know, and so there could be an imbalance of clients, like these clients always go to steep hill and you're not getting like, you know, all of the clients, like this may not be a representative of all, um, the people who are testing, uh, second, um, some of the cannabinoids were systematically absent and we already talked about this, um, that you couldn't infer their behavior. So was it 
that they weren't there or was it that they just weren't being tested for? Um, third, the accuracy of the measurement method at low concentrations is poor. That's we, I already mentioned that. And then finally, that um, looking at a broader uh, profile of chemical contents, including missing cannabinoid and terpene. So taking a broader like chemotype of the samples would be good. And then I didn't see in here, and I this might be one of the first papers I have seen that doesn't ever state that more research is needed, like outright. <laughs> like uh, that's one of the things I literally highlight. It's got its own color. Needs more research. <laughs> but clearly, we need more research. Yeah, <clears throat> I do. I do think that at some point, you know, we we could be in the industry looking for the possibility of doing businesses based on the data, right? Again, like 23andMe does, right? Based mm -hmm. on the data, they have a business. Um, I think that the companies that tried to do that, um, that business model did not work, and many of them went into breeding instead. Um, or, yeah, so, so I think, but I think that based on the data and based on, you know, like one of the things, again, talking about this, this other paper with, with a leafly, we did find that terpenes were better at clustering strains than, uh, you know, sativa, indica, whatever. Now, I think that the next step would be to figure out whether particular terpenes have specific effects, right? So whether this, you know, when we, we found three groups in the, in the paper, so whether you take strains from this group and strains from this other one and and do those have particular effects and the problem with that data from leafly is that people go and buy whatever it is i don't know um purple haze and then they go to leafly like what am i gonna feel and it's like oh it's couch lucky and then you're gonna get the munchies blah blah, blah and then they smoke it with that preconceived notion and then they say like that was totally right i was couch lucky and i got the munchies totally totally right and so there are no blind studies right so we need i think that that's the next step and we i think yeah blinds a blind study would be awesome where you uh have like i don't know like package one package two package three they're blind, whatever is in there, and they group them. Maybe not how they feel, but like this definitely belongs. This this one makes me feel like the other ones that I that were group one. The this one makes me feel like the other ones that were group. And you kind of like, in, like based it on your feelings, your perception, rather than um, tying a feeling to the the product. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I, this one, this one made me tired and this one made me tired. Like, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining it well. For me, like, for me, I really want to have the, the situation kind of resolved just with actually like lighting terpenes on fire. And because everything that I know from like terpenes is all like herbal or like aroma therapy related. It's not actually lighting these things on fire. So I'm just, I'm really interested to know, yeah, what, what is that doing when we consume it? Like in the flower perspective, like, is it different at vaporization? Is it different when I'm just lighting a joint? What's really happening with that? I know there's been some loose studies on it, but 
I think it would be really fair to also understand that interaction with the terpenes and also the tobacco that could possibly be involved when people roll spliffs or rather just having the blunt wrap. I think kind of these just these basic ingestion things can also kind of help with that because I think the terpene thing is a real big wild card in here and I just I don't me too yeah I just I don't know yeah, me too. About it. I mean I do think I, I mean I think that if you have a similar terpene profile even if you light it on fire each time like you're gonna get a similar you know like the terpenes are gonna behave the same way when you ignite them every single time if they're in the same you know concentration and 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 combination then it, that shouldn't change, but you can't say that linalool, because this has linalool in it, it will make you calm because we know that linalool, it has a calming effect because that data that we have from linalool being calming, like from lavender and, and making you, you know, relaxed and sleepy or whatever the case may be, that's from smelling it, not from lighting it on fire and potentially changing that, that chemical, that molecule, and then inhaling it. So it's going straight to your lungs and not, you know, to your nerves and your brain, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think the terpene thing is a big, uh, people are leaning super heavily on it when we don't really know that much about what we're doing with it. In my opinion. Yeah, we need to, yeah, we need to figure out what is it doing, I think, too, yeah. Molly, did you want to sneak a rant in there about sativa edibles? Please. <laughs> Yeah, talking about like customers being naive, um, a lot of edible companies here are labeling their product as sativa and indica edibles. And it's, it's like really uh, annoying because like people start arguing with you and they're like, oh, well, like if you make like cannabis butter from, I don't know, super silver haze like it must be like sativa and you must be like energized from these edibles um but it doesn't make any sense because you're extracting like you know you're extracting cannabinoids and if we don't have a specific like uh way of saying what sativa and indica is then how can an edible be like that and then on top of that it's processed through your liver, so it's definitely not going to have the same thing as, like, smoking effect. Um, and they're, like, literally the same for me. I eat the 80 milligram of sativa, I go to sleep. I eat 80 milligram of indica, I go to sleep. Edibles, for me, are relaxing. And that's kind of, like, the case for most of the people. That's what they have them for. But because some of the butt tenders, what they told me... Um, is that they say it so that they can sell product. But at the end Which of the day... Which Daniela and I will go in there and we'll talk to them. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently Tricom Institute um, is teaching in their courses saying that it's like a placebo effect for the good of the customer. That it's like okay to say that sativa makes you energized and indica makes you sleepy because it's the placebo effect and maybe it will help some customers. But to me, it's it just sounds like we're just making things up, you know? It's so disingenuous because, like, if you have a new person who doesn't know what to expect and you're telling them this will do this to you, then they go home and it does something completely different, they're going to feel like there's something wrong with them. Like, it didn't do this to me. What's wrong with me? Or they're going to hate it because it didn't do what they thought it was going to do and they're not coming back. 
Yep. You know, yep. and that's really sad because that could be somebody who really could have benefited from the, you know, therapeutic effect or the medicine or, you know, the relaxation or whatever the, you know, whatever this person was going for. Now they don't like cannabis because they had a bad experience because a bud tender told them something that wasn't true. And then they experienced something completely different. Like that's just... I mean, Dr. Anna, we had a customer one time when we used to work in the gray market um, dispensary where they basically said like, oh, well, your butt tender told me that I can eat a gram of honey oil and I was so high I couldn't drive my daughter to school. So he was like mad. He came back to the store and all of us were confused because there was like no way that any of us would say that taking an entire syringe of oil is going to have you productive or whatever. Um, It's definitely not like that. And so like when I used to be a butt tender, I wanted to give them sort of like, you know, the advice of like going low and trying for yourself. But I also kind of told them like, I think this stuff is really strong. Um, So if you're looking for something like strong, like for your pain or to go to sleep, this probably would be a good option because I didn't want them, um, to let's say, you know, think that they're going to be all <laughs> hyper from it and stuff when it's really not like that because I just, I didn't want them to feel like I bamboozled them, you know, because that wasn't my intention. And then I just didn't well, want to feel totally ru- bad. Can, it you know? can also totally ruin someone's day. Oh, yeah. You know, 100%. like, like um, edibles, uh, like edibles for me, like, knock me on my ass for hours like like a whole day like 10 to 16 hours so if somebody told me something like i was gonna be energized and i took an edible and thought i was gonna go to a concert and shit like i i have fallen asleep at rage against the machines i am not above falling asleep at a concert not passed out fell asleep do you want me to add do you want me to edit that part out you fell asleep at a rage concert are you like i don't care I don't care, but no, I have this ability to fall asleep anywhere. Um, if I'm tired, I will go to sleep. I've done it since I was little. Um, but right. like, honestly, like, like that can ruin your day, you know? Oh, that guy who ate that honey oil syringe, he definitely came into my store the next day. He flipped the fuck out on me for sure. Your employee told me to eat honey oil and I would be okay. I said, no, he didn't. Uh, yeah, I don't have anybody that dumb uh, working for me, to say the least. Like, they actually know things. and uh, But, like, honestly, what in what in all common sense truth told you that extracted cannabis oil, and definitely known to be high THC cannabis oil, was going to be okay to just take half a gram of? What in any situation under the sun was that the responsible adult thing to do? You not only made that decision, but then you decided to get behind a motor vehicle and go drive your, like... Come on, you know, sometimes it's also, yeah, needs to help out. But it's, yeah, it can be misled by the bud tender for sure. It's the same thing with, like, indica and sativa shatter. Like, get the fuck out of here with that. Like, that's just silly, silly business. And, I mean, even further, like, oh, yeah, I digress on it. It's, so it's I have crazy. been using these Delta 8 cookies. Well, they claim to be Delta 8 cookies. Um, and... I sleep, you know, like after maybe four hours, I'm pretty active for the first four hours and I can do stuff. And what I usually do is laundry. 
um, because I don't know how can anyone do the laundry sober. Um, So, um, and then after that, I, I just, you know, pass out, like sleep. And then I told that to my mom, like, hey, mom, like, these cookies have helped me sleep because she has trouble sleeping. She had a cookie and she was awake for the entire night. My poor mom. I know. And so I don't know, you know, like, I don't know whether those effects are. So quick clarification. What, was she really high and stayed awake or she just didn't get high at all? No, she was high and stayed awake so that's the thing though right is like yeah you can get super high and it just keeps your mind going like 900 miles a minute like molly she cannot consume things like right before bed because then she lays down in bed and everything's like fucking spinning like crazy i man i'm fucking smoked a bong in the bed and i'll be fine um you know like it'll be completely legitimate or i have other friends that are just like completely fucking invincible I've seen people eat literally a thousand milligrams, supposed, but like if it wasn't a thousand, it had to be at least 500. You know what I mean? Like it was a substantial amount. Nothing. He was 100% stone cold. And then, yeah, there's this other people where it'll either calm you down or send you through the roof. But, you know, again, I think that just really goes to show that. Uh, you know, a proper bud tender who's helping you out in any of these shops is not going to give you any definitive answers. They're going to kind of give you more broad stroked answers. And that might frustrate the living hell out of you, but they're actually being honest. And so I think that's kind of where the the frustration would be for the consumer is if, you know, bud tenders started to be really honest right now. I don't think a lot of people would be happy with a lot of the answers, the the kind of, you know, because we just, we don't know. I don't necessarily think that's true. Like, I think we do this more often than we realize that we do. We try something that we don't know anything about, and then we decide if we like it or not. If you don't like it, you're not going to do it again, or you'll try something else. Like, if somebody gave me pineapple pizza the very first time I tried pizza, I probably wouldn't go back. I'd probably be like, fuck pizza, it's gross. But, like, I like pizza in general. I just don't like pineapple on it. Some people don't like anchovies. That doesn't mean you don't like pizza. You just don't like anchovies on your pizza. You know, so, like, and the more we start to learn about something, we start to learn our preferences, what we like, what we don't like, what works for us, what doesn't work for us. You know, some people who are on, I don't know, antidepressants, like, their doctor might prescribe them one, and you go back to your doctor and you go, I can't fucking sleep. This is not for me. Or... I like this, but I gained a bunch of weight. I'd prefer not to be a fat ass. So can you put me on something else? And the doctor will kind of like adjust your dose or combine something or put you on something completely different. Like this is how life works. This is not like you walk in, oh, you find something and right away you're like, yep, that's the one. That that very, very, very rarely works with anything. I think we should just not give in and just like lie to customers so they hear what they want to hear, but rather like Like spend time educating them and just kind of explain (laughs) to them that this is going to be trial and error. You're going to have to start low and go slow and kind of figure it out for yourself. Yeah, pretty much. And I think that's why I turned down a job actually um, in the store because I realized that first of all, I'm going to have a very strong desire to lecture every person 
um, because I'd want to help them. But a lot of people, they just want to come in, pick up their stuff and let go. Um, they don't really want to know and they already believe in something. And maybe because of the placebo effect, it does help them. Um, but yeah, I just, I think like the education is key because most of the people who consume for years still don't know anything about weed. They just say, oh, it's weed. I pick it up from the same guy. Um, they don't know strain. They just think that it's indica or sativa or whatever they're being told. Um, and they all consume well, honestly, it in the some, evening. So like some people just don't care. Or yeah. it's me, right? When I go to a dispensary and the bartender, it's kind of like, just don't talk. <laughs> yeah, pretty just much. Just, just give me whatever I, I want you to give me. And <laughs> yeah, like don't. Yeah. And but like my my old roommate, like she just doesn't care. She's like, I don't care, indica, sativa, whatever. She has ADHD, and it doesn't matter what it is. It it helps her, and she just yeah. doesn't care because I'm a all of it customer. is better than being her normal ADHD brain. That you know. Yeah, I think I um, think the bud tenders like speaking of bud strokes comes from a place of me kind of experiencing people that are like going to the shop and looking for like the Tylenol of cannabis or, you know, they think that just because, you know, it has the name pink Kush that it's going to have the same effect as every single grower that they get the pink Kush from. And so I don't think that there's that reliable information. So unless they do like actually, you know, try it once and then do it, but you still, you have to try it first. You're not, you don't know that that's going to have that effect if you take it. And so I think that's kind of where it is. Cause of course I know up in Canada here, it's a little bit different with our dispensaries, but you actually can't like smell the weed up here. Um, you'll be lucky if you can actually see a batch or part of the nugs that are even within a few months of like when we actually get it. So it's very, Same very difficult. Yeah. It's so difficult to make those decisions. Um, really? Yeah. How do people buy then? If you cannot smell it, if you cannot go oh. there and smell, how do you do it? Yeah, Danielle, you it's the, the brand. The name. You go try to go by the brand. Yeah. The same way you pick wine when you wine and beer when you go to the st the liquor store. Like you don't know what's in the can. You can't see it. You can't smell it. And honestly, there is a level of understanding buying both wine and beer that just because it says Chardonnay on the label doesn't mean it's good, or even a Chardonnay for that matter, or fucking sours oh my god sours like an ip like all of it it's like okay this says it's a you know like a double ipa is it who knows when you're not gonna know until you open it and get it home and then you're like it's really good it's really bad meh this is fine like we do have this level we we are totally able to comprehend this we just for whatever reason people are not able to like translate it over to cannabis like i just don't yeah for me, yeah, for me, I kind of feel really bad for a lot of the customers because I, I'll even, I, for me, I'm in the industry, so I can shop based on, like, because I know who's growing it <laughs> and whether I, like, believe mm -hmm. in them or, like, I, you know, I know who's running companies, so whether, you know, I make, like, ethical and moral decisions in that sort of way, um, it's just, it's really difficult, and, you know, even if you find, you know, something from one company, you're definitely not guaranteed that it's going to be good the next batch that comes through. The consistency on that is just not there. Um, and that's but also again, in the micro too. It's not limited to large producers. It's micro too. Like it's just, it's really tough to do this stuff at a consistent scale yeah, that, that meets that, testing requirements. But that's not even different from like the 
the brewery situation again. Like there are some breweries where you can look at that and be like, I know that's a good brewery. I don't never had their this beer. This is a new one, but I know that's going to be a quality beer because I know this brewery. They always put out good stuff. Like, um, you know, and you, and you can't, you know, you, you like, you kind of need to try stuff and talk to people and, you know, I don't know, read Yelp reviews and shit like that. And, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's really similar. It is really similar. The struggle is real. <laughs> it is. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, does anybody have any last um, questions, comments, or concerns with Dr. Vergara related to cannabinoids? I can't or, believe you pulled this off. Like, this is a pretty crazy paper. Just the fact that you had so much missing data and were able to like put something together and like make it all make sense a little bit uh, uh, with what you had. I thought it was good. Pretty but, cool paper. Yeah. So there was there's been some citations for that paper talking about machine learning techniques, right? Which is also a cool, a cool, right? Because it's it's not just the cannabis stuff. It's also like okay, can what help us impute and and then Brian, for example, has analyzed a bunch of different types of data, like yeah, like types of like like yeah, like what do people call certain things that you know, like data that is that is also like type of like I don't know, um, supermarket type of data, right? Things like so. So I think it's it's also really cool that it's cited by by other people that are not necessarily in the cannabis industry but also looking at okay what sort of imputation of, or what sort of analysis should i be using i also cool. love that you told us the story of how um the data guy came into the coffee shop where you were bus- <laughs> like super mad <laughs> and he, like how when does that ever happen that's amazing. Well, because we were on campus, right? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, but still very serendipitous, and I'm glad it happened and that uh, you got your data analyzed in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could still be sitting in that coffee shop banging your Oh, my God. I don't know how I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a great collaborator, and we've collaborated now in, in two papers, and... He's, he's such a, a, a great guy. I really like him. I mean, the four yeah. people, I mean, Reggie is a great boss. I miss Reggie every single day of my life. I love Reggie. Yeah, I know. And then Tom is, is a chemist, and he's kind of like, he's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's a fun team. That was a fun, those two papers on, on analyzing cannabinoids and terpenes were fun collaborations and the one with Leafly was also really fun because for the first time I wasn't the manager. So I'm, I'm an excellent manager. Um, Um, and so for the first time it was Nick, the one that was the manager and that was great. Um, so, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to have, I'm going to suggest that for your headstone. If you go before me, I'm going to say here lies Daniela. She was an excellent manager. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and enjoy and enjoyed making figures yeah and making you know making sure that the ticks are the same size and that i really like that was my thing with that paper like wait the, the little things yeah and not the, 
but then Nick would look at it and it's like, hey, like this little point over here. And I was like, how did you see that? You're like, what? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like I, I, I am a really good manager despite hating it. I think if I had been, you know, like, <laughs> Men, like did you watch that show Mad Men? Like, I haven't Joni, seen it. That's like, oh my God, it's such a good show. But Joni, I would have been like 10 times better than Joni the secretary because... Yeah, that, that's <laughs> <laughs> that is my, but uh, but yeah, um, thank you for for the conversation. It's been when Anna told me, I was like, oh, I have to reread that paper. Like, what did I? Do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's a thing. And then, like, do you have what what's coming up next for you? Are you what's the next paper, or what are you researching next? So okay, so I am. Working on a paper on cannabinoids, that, but I moved from Boulder, so now I'm in New York State, and I'm working with Cornell Extension, which is a completely different thing, right? Cool. Um, so now I'm working actually with growers. Now I can touch the plant hemp, <sighs> hemp only hemp. Um, uh, but uh, but uh, so now I'm working there, and then. You know, ideally, the research that I would be doing, hopefully in the future, would be more, much more applied, like figuring out how to help people grow and how to, what are the problems that people are facing with their grows and stuff like that. And I do visit a bunch of different facilities, like a hydroponics facility and again, all sorts of different facilities, which, which is fine. Um, it's, it's really fun. Um, but... The work that I left from CU, which I am finishing on research, some of them is on the cannabinoid genes and all of the different genes that we know exist. Um, and looking at the entire, well, not the entire biochemical pathway, but the last steps of the biochemical pathway, uh, which we've also found that there's multiple genes. Um, so that's one of the projects. And then the other project is related to those individuals that that paper that Anna did not want to talk about, um, which, which is that continuation, that the genetic continuation of that um, twenty twenty one paper. I've also been working on that. So those are the things that are hopefully coming on late twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three at some point, um, and that would finish my cycle with CU, I guess. That would be, and then figuring out what is it that I'm gonna be doing here, applied research here. Awesome! Well, congratulations on reaching that point. And then, listeners, you could see Daniela's work at VergaraScience.com. Another episode of the Canada Book Club in the books, folks. Thanks again for joining us here on Resonate Radio. Thank you so much to Dr. Daniela Vergara for taking the time, so much time. It's like two hours. Uh, took a little bit of uh, time to edit. This We recorded this back in May of 2022. It took a little bit for me to get that out there. I apologize for that because I think it's a real valuable conversation. So... If you haven't had the time yet, folks, you know what to do. Uh, Hit that subscribe and follow and like and leave a review. It's season three. Season three. 
Uh, I appreciate y'all who have uh, hung along for the ride. There's going to be a couple of format changes with the Canada Book Club for future episodes that we're doing. You might not even find out for a year, though, at this rate, where the episodes are coming out. I have a whole bunch to release to you. We're going to mix it up a little bit. There's some interviews with some pretty cool people that I got to get out to folks, so we're going to get that done, too. Lots of things. It's just it's a, just a busy time. So Pure Sun Farms is a busy job, and I enjoy every single moment of it, but it takes a little bit of time away from doing the podcast, but I'm going to get some episodes out to you this year, and uh, you know, let me know if, if you want something different. We'll see how it goes anyway. Thanks for joining us on Resonate Radio, and we'll see you guys next time.